You're listening to the Orchard Podcast, where we talk about recent teachings at Orchard Hill Church, how we can apply uh, what we've been learning in our everyday lives. I'm Jonathan Rogers. I'm here today with Alice Shirey and Jeff Mickey. Thank you guys for being here on this spring break week. A lot of times it feels deserted around here, doesn't it, spring break week? But we have the the roofers here, which have really been uh, adding some interest That's to our right. week, haven't they? They have. That's right. It's yeah. fun to watch them up there. <laughs> we were, as we were saying, they we saw them hanging from kind of almost like by the cross up there when we <laughs> when we came in, didn't we? <laughs> Nervous there. Um, uh, so my my opening question is regarding the NCAA basketball tournament. Yes. Have you filled out yes. your brackets? No. Because the time is over. It's That's right. I'm out. Begun. Sorry. I picked Penn to win the whole thing because that's where my son went Are they even in it? Yes. Are they? Yes, Johnny. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I was listening to to NPR Sports on the way over here. I take it you didn't pick them or you haven't filled out a bracket. I filled it out at about uh, 9 o'clock this morning and just to make sure I had one done. And then I went and looked at... uh, like one of the experts' picks, and then I changed all my picks to what they. I thought you could tell me it was identical. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was not. It was not identical, but I changed it to what they picked. So, who did you pick? Uh, so I picked. Uh, I, I did two. I did. I did one like that. I think maybe it'll go, and then one that I want. Okay. Teams that I want to win. So I chose, uh, and the one that uh, that I think it'll go. I believe I chose Duke. Mm. Yeah, which I not don't Kansas. really want. That's not uh, how anybody I, wants no. it to <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and in the other one, I have a uh, North Carolina Michigan State final, okay. I believe. And mm. I and I uh, chose North Carolina because that's where my son's going to go to school in the fall. Is he really? Yeah, going to go to grad school out there. Oh, cool. So yeah, so well, they won last Heels year, fans. right? Yeah, I know. So so yeah. All right, been I, a Tar Heels uh, fan all my life. So I, yeah. <laughs> may I just point out that gambling is against God's heart? So. That's why I didn't fill out. <laughs> Nobody said anything about thing. putting money on this. It's feels all like free. It feels. <laughs> I'm joking. That's why you're in that chair that was higher than us. That throne you're sitting on. Yeah. Super spiritual. Yeah. Well, I got Michigan State, so we got a, at least we yeah, have them go. all. Yeah. Yep. We got it all on record, so we right. can see uh, see who won. Nice. Um, all right, so we're gonna go through uh, some of the um, teachings on James, right? Kind of talk about what we've learned, been learning. Um, one of the things that I've heard people say uh, quite a bit in, in the teachings here is that um, James is Jesus' half-brother. And sometimes that confuses me because um, I'm not sure, is he, was he Jesus' brother or half-brother? Or why was he Jesus' half-brother? Um, do you have an answer to that question? Do you know the why, pe- why people call him that? My best answer is that uh, James and Jesus shared the same mother. Yep. But Jesus' real father wasn't Joseph. Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. So they don't have the same father. That's what I believe makes them half brothers. I guess that's what I thought was He's the answer. He's a brother answer. from another mother. <laughs> or another father. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Sorry. Cut that. Lord no, we're leaving that in. <laughs> that's great. That's good. I've always wanted to say it. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess uh, that clears it up then. All right. But really, he, I mean, it's true though. It's, they're brothers, right? They're brothers. Right. Right. I mean, yes, they're from the same family. The same family. Grew up in the yeah. same family. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Okay. Uh, one of the things that uh, James talks about a lot is the tongue, and I'm particularly inter- interested in this because I'm kind of having uh, a tough time controlling my tongue sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you guys have probably experienced that a little bit in meetings when I get a little frustrated no you've never i experienced it in my own life yeah exactly um so i have a hard time with that and you know really at home with like my wife or my kids um 
And so, I mean, James talks a lot about that. Um, he says we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak. How can we do that in a world where uh, everyone seems to want to express their opinions at all times? Gosh, that is a phenomenal question. I'll choose to listen and you can speak, <laughs> Alice. Be quick to speak. <laughs> That's right. You know, wouldn't it be great if I could answer that as a person who has fully mastered my tongue? Wouldn't that be phenomenal? But it's not. So I just need to be super honest about that. I think the thing that gets me in the most trouble, really, of, of anything, sins of commission and sins of omission, is stuff I say with my mouth, words. Um, and I'm uh, still shocked by uh, what I say. Uh, so having gotten that clarified, I think uh, it has become a cultural norm to simply express your opinion on all things, even things you know very little about. Um, a lot of that has come from social media, the way our news is being presented to us, not even so much as news, but as a series of people kind of barking at each other. Um and so, you know, I, I don't have a trick or a special answer as to how to do what James says, except to keep that admonition in front of us and to, in every situation we're in, try to practice it and try to l put listening ahead of speaking. Um, and, and some of that comes from s simply the belief that maybe we don't know everything and um, the belief that being curious about other people is... A beautiful thing and and that through listening you can actually learn quite a bit and I think if if Christians could be known for that that'd be a pretty cool thing yeah and I think James is really um, speaking about being critical of other people and 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 knocking them down or gossiping about them or you know, tearing them apart and, and doing, you know, cursing them, I think is the word he uses. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that comes in all kinds of different forms, maybe gossip or um, judging other people or talking about them behind the back or complaining about things without actually, you know, uh, approaching the situation and trying to deal with it head on. And so there's lots of these things that I think all of us do. James even says, this is something we do, mm -hmm. but he says we shouldn't tolerate it. Um, and so I think it's, I think like what Alice is saying is I think it's, it's paying attention to it and, and, um, you know, catching ourselves maybe when we do it, uh, sometimes that's the best thing we can do. We've already done it. I caught myself now. Can I apologize and own up to it and learn from it? And I think it's, it's, it's all about, I think he's trying to stress, uh, some discipline and trying to gain discipline and, and you're going to fail more than you succeed at first, but then can you start to discipline yourself to where you start to, to gain better mm -hmm. control of it? And if you can gain control of your tongue, I think he's saying you can gain, gain control of your whole life because it's the hardest thing in the world to control. And I know that that's, that's the case for me. It's, it's so easy to just let something slip out and then uh, you're trying to grab it and put it back in and it's, it's already out there. The damage is done. I think he connects it to anger, too, that you said be, what does he say? I have it right here in front of me. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Mm. And yeah. I think sometimes it's, our it, anger can lead us to say words, but sometimes I think, I know at least in my life, I can start saying some words and find myself creating anger in my own life, 
you know, in yeah. an in an environment, and and he's really saying, you know, that that kind of anger doesn't really spread God's righteousness. And so, there's something there too that I need to pay attention mm-hmm. to when I'm feeling angry, or when I'm about to walk into a situation that I know might lead me to anger. And this is where, you know, family stuff comes in. Yeah. To to even in those moments say, beware, beware, right here, right here. Be quick to listen and slow to speak because. There's this anger potential that can light you up before you know what's happening. Mm. So, mm-hmm. just something to pay attention to. Um, Jeff, you kind of hit it a little bit, but um, why do you think James makes such a big deal about um, about the tongue and uh, and how we talk? Uh, why is it? I mean, you kind of said it kind of leads to other. We can get our tongue under control. We can get our life under control. But do you think that's the big the big thing? The big the big idea? Well, he's. He's pretty descriptive in his writing. I mean, he talks about it as being like a wildfire. He talks about it like wild animals. He talks about, I think, poison. Uh, all things that aren't just like, they don't just cause a little bit of damage and then they go away. They like spread. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's contagious, I think. And I think you see that in our culture so much. I think especially you see the advancement of social media and people being able to say what they want, express their opinions, and so much of it becomes negative or critical, and all of a sudden uh, somebody's offended, and now they're hurt, and hurt people hurt people, so now they're responding out of that hurt, and they're saying hurtful things, and I, you just see it. I mean, I don't know how to explain it other than you can see it spreading across our culture, especially, like I said, in the, in the example of social media, but I think you even see that then as people relate with each other verbally. I just think it's dangerous, and I think that um, that's part of the warning that that James is is talking about with the church. He's saying this is the church is under persecution; it's under fire right now. And if and if we talk this way in our church, it's never going to take off. No, nobody's ever going to know the hope that we have in Jesus. They're just going to think we're like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so, for church people, then it becomes even if we're going to be a witness to Christ, if we're going to set any kind of example for others to see how much. Christ cares for us and loves us and loves them, we've got to really watch that. I think, too, James knows, like we know, that the primary way we express anything, think about it, I mean, is through words. Yeah. I, I, I can hardly communicate without written words, spoken word, you know? Um, and so I think he's he's trying to get it at this idea that... Um, kind of what Kurt was getting at in his teaching, that what comes out of our mouth expresses what's in our hearts. Mm -hmm. And if what's in our hearts is the same kind of junk that's in everybody else's hearts, then what are we communicating? You know, what... Uh, why should we be? Why should we be taken at face value for for the hope of the gospel? Um, And and I also think that the gospel should influence the way we see other human beings and and change the way we look at people. And our primary lead is supposed to be with love. So um, probably in the early church, just like the church today, James is trying to check people on this because Johnny, I I think that that the way we talk is still one of the most accepted sins in the church. We can get away with all kinds of stuff with our mouth, and nobody ever checks checks us. So and James is on. I mean, he's, it's really a signpost or a you know a. What is the condition of your faith? Is it a, is it he's saying is it a genuine faith? Right. <laughs> because he's saying if if your faith is genuine, then then that kind of talk won't come out of your mouth. Just like 
uh, salt water can't come out of a freshwater spring. Yeah. He says, well, the same thing is unwholesome talk shouldn't come out of your mouth if you have a faith. Now, again, we're going to stumble, we're going to fall, and he acknowledges right. that. But but it's a good evaluation tool for ourselves to think, okay, what am I living by? Am I living according to my faith or am I living according to my own desires and my own self? Yeah. And so in that sense, it becomes a really good way for us to evaluate how am I living? What am I living out of? So what are some things that we can do um, to help us control our tongues other than just evaluating, um, you know, when we're in the moment or um, preparing ahead of time for a conversation? I know I've thought I've had times where I know that I'm going to go into a conversation um, with my wife or with somebody that I've had a disagreement with, knowing that I'm probably going to get a little bit, you know, amped up or animated. And I've tried to say, okay, I need to just go in and maybe even prayed about it and then gone into the conversation (laughs) thinking that. And then I, something I feel disrespected or something and I just completely go the other way and I'm saying in my head, don't say this, don't say this. And then I'm saying (laughs) it and you know, it it, like, like you were saying, it kind of just starts, um, uh, to build on itself. So do you have any ideas or thoughts for us? Um, as we kind of have these conversations, these moments, um, like that, it's a great question. Yeah, the thing that jumps to my mind right away is, you know, in marriage mentoring, we teach the speaker-listener technique. Yeah. And uh, we're not very good at practicing it a lot of times, but it's a it's a technique that we can actually use. Uh, sometimes we feel a little foolish doing it, but where we give the speaker the floor, and our job as listener is simply to listen to what they're saying. And it's not to, to judge it. It's not to uh, defend our actions or anything, but I just want to listen so that I understand what you're saying. And if I can put myself in that position and say, I'm going to just paraphrase what I think that you're saying. Um, that in itself changes the way I'm going to respond initially to what it is you're saying. It's hard. It's it, That's discipline. That's yeah. what takes discipline is I'm going to remove myself as far as taking anything personally right now and just listen to see if I can understand what it is you're saying. Hard to do. That's what I was going to say is that it's, we have, we've had that little magnet on our fridge. Yeah. I think that, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, would, that you get in the mentoring class. Um, and it is, it's really hard to actually do it because it takes a lot of, um, you got to humble yourself yeah. a lot so that to actually speak back to the person, like, this is what I hear you saying. And you know, it, it, it feels like, uh, I don't know. It's just very tough to do, I guess. Mm-hmm. So there's a humbling, there's a discipline that has to happen before you can even have those conversations. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of that comes from, I mean, there's discipline and, 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 you know, tied into that is practice. Like how can I practice some things when I'm not in the heat of the moment? So that it starts to become more natural to me. So I especially, and I've talked about this before, but I watch my husband with this, and I think he's learned this a lot through his work. He helps people with their money, and so it's really important to him that he understand people. So I watch him um, probably ask three or four questions of of somebody who's speaking before he offers his own thoughts. Um, And there's something about that that slows the pace down and makes you a good listener. Um, the other thing I was listening to um, Brene Brown um, on a podcast the other day, she's kind of a sociologist, um, psychologist, and she was talking about that she's working really hard to listen to a person's statement all the way through before she starts to formulate her own thought in response. And she said, you know, on a podcast, that makes me have to pause a lot before I answer, but I'm working really hard to let a person finish their whole line of thought 
and then pause before I even start to speak. So there's some practicing that has to be intentional because there's just no way you're going to get in the heat of the moment and try really hard and keep your mouth under control. It's just not going to happen. So so we've got to, you know, if, if this is something we want to take on, because it has to be a choice, you know, we do have to pray and ask God to help us with it. And then I think God has to help us develop some things that we start to practice and practice those on a regular basis so that when, when we get in heated moments, our body and our mind and our mouth knows that there's a different way to respond than just shoot off. Um, and it probably starts before the heated moment even, right? I mean, a lot of times I've noticed that when I am kind or when I use my words carefully, a lot of times they don't even get to those moments because <laughs> I'm I'm already yeah. in that place yeah. where I'm not going to let it get there because I'm going to be humble. It's when I don't do that, that one little comment leads to something yep. else that leads to something else. And then you have that kind of explosion. And that's that wildfire thing that Jeff right. was talking about. You can create a different kind of wildfire. Mm, that's good. Right? Like it can spread kindness and humility and gentleness can spread just like gossip and evil right. and backbiting. And so I think we have a responsibility. That's another practice. You could right. start to, you know, even just first thing in the morning, like how can I lead out with kind words today? I might fall apart by noon, but let me <laughs> or, let me get a good start. Or 10 a.m. By breakfast. <laughs> but yeah. before I get up, I could really be nice. Well, what I hear you saying is something we've talked about a long time around here is, is hit the pause button. Yeah. You know, so in the middle of a conversation, let me hit the pause button. Let me think about that before I respond. Let me ask a question, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, which, which doesn't make for a natural flow of conversation sometimes, but that, I mean, it yeah. makes for a much better conversation. And, and, and I think you mentioned humility, Johnny, and I think that's exactly what James is talking yeah. about is humility and speech are closely tied together. And so what you're saying with the other practices, get up and how do you say, I'm going to choose humility today. I'm going to choose to, to put others needs ahead of my own today. Um, how do you, how do you, set that frame of reference. And again, I can set it in my prayer time and I can get up and walk to the breakfast table and it's gone. And so then it's, it's just that practice over and over again. Can I get a minute farther into my day today? And God will give you another opportunity, you know? I was thinking too, if you're in a, let's say you're just at lunch with coworkers and the conversation turns to gossip. I mean, to, to just Get yourself out of it for a little bit. Just ha- excuse yourself. Go to the restroom. I mean, you don't have to come up with solutions right away in the moment, but just remove yourself. Yeah. Take a pause and come back and be ready to change the trajectory. It's hard. I mean, James is clear. It's the hardest thing to do. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I just, so many examples of messing it up, you know, fewer examples of doing it correctly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, there's a lot in this. Um, so I'm going to move us kind of to another situation. Uh, Alice, you kind of talked a lot, I mean, you're teaching, um, about, you know, mercy triumph over judgment, right? Mercy triumphs over judgment. James 2, um, 13. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and maybe some real life situations where that can kind of play itself out? I know you talked a little bit about that in your teaching, but yeah, you probably have had some people talk to you about this yeah. since then. Yeah. I talked, uh, I talked a little bit about, you know, some people in their jobs have to make judgments, not necessarily about people, but about actions. You know, if you work at a bank 
a loan officer has to make a judgment on whether or not you can repay a loan. A judge has to make a judgment about what penalty goes with what crime, you know, those kinds of things. Um, But I'm just trying to think about like, you know, in my own life, um, dealing with somebody who's hurt me, you know, I can absolutely 100% lead, lead with judgment in that. If somebody has legitimately hurt me or wronged me, I, of course, have the absolute right to say, I'm not your friend anymore, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I may feel that way. Um, or I can speak honestly about how I'm hurt and, you, you know, um, also lead with, with mercy for that person and think the best of them, um, uh, believe that something in their life or something I did caused that to happen and maybe try to tease that out and and see if there's something there and be quick to accept an apology, you know, acknowledging my failure and errors in friendships as well. I mean, that's one way. You had a question about kids. And I think about this a lot. I remember once when my uh, son, who was a teenager, um, created a Twitter account, a fake one, as if he were the West High swim coach. I don't know if you remember the story. <laughs> I, I do and he started it. tweeting things on there that uh, <laughs> caught the attention of some Cedar Falls parents. We can laugh now, right? Because oh, this we was, can totally laugh because yeah. he's killing it in yeah. life. But at that moment, <laughs> there was great fear, and um, and so one so one of the Cedar Falls parents called the Waterloo School Board president, who was a friend of ours, and reported young Will Shirey and his <laughs> fake Twitter account. And my initial reaction, because I was scared and because I was mad and because I was embarrassed, right, was to think I'm going to lead with judgment. And I, my, my job, my plan was to go to swim practice and pull him out by his hair and embarrass him in front of his, <laughs> yeah, I thought it was reasonable. Called my husband to double to check this plan. <laughs> and my husband in his wisdom said, you're going to wait until he comes home. And you're going to see what he has to say for himself. Now, this was choosing mercy over judgment. And my son walked in the door and just the first thing he said was, I'm such an idiot. He had already been found out. He already felt terrible about it. And he um, punished his his own self in his head. Hmm. And um, that that was mercy triumphing over judgment now in 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 some instances maybe what i was choosing to do would have been the better plan depending on the kind of personality my son had but i think about that one a lot Hmm. and i think about how leading with mercy he still had to face the consequences he still had to apologize he still had to take down the twitter account he still had to feel terrible about it but he knew there was mercy from his parents um even though he was held accountable so I don't know if that's helpful. Oh, that's really helpful, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. very helpful. Um, we talked to, uh, we were going to talk a little bit about this, but I feel like this story kind of leads us up into this idea of justice versus judgment, <laughs> um, which is kind of a tough topic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was kind of thinking about, you know, justice kind of in that situation for Will may have been um, doing those things that he had to do to kind of make things right, right? Because right. a lot of the, the, the um, we've used the, I guess, 
justice is getting what you deserve, right? That's the definition we've kind of used around here for a while. Judgment, judgment is getting. Judgment what you is deserve. getting what you deserve. So yeah. he he could have uh, done something different or whatever, but that's what he did, and he got that. Yeah. Right. He got that's he kind of got what he deserved. Yeah. Do you have a idea about justice and judgment, Jeff? Well, uh, some ideas that are not very well formed at, at this point, I would say. Uh, uh, a couple that come to my mind is, for some reason, justice to me seems like um, it involves uh, biblical justice, yeah. I should say. Uh, and I think there's a difference between biblical justice and human justice. Uh, yeah. In fact, I, I think of just while you were talking, I was thinking about God looks at a man and sees what's in his heart and judges from what's inside the man, whereas we can only see the behaviors. We can only right. see the actions. And so, you know, when you know your son a little bit more, too, it helps because you know what's in his heart and you know that he was just having fun, he was immature, it was foolish, but but he wasn't being um, malicious, you no. know, or trying to cause, you know, real bad problems. He just was having fun and being funny. Yep. And so as a parent, you're able to see that. And so then um, you could reserve judgment in that sense and, and choose justice. And justice in that case was an enactment of some mercy uh, right, for right. him. So somehow those concepts are tied together. Yeah. And I don't know if that makes sense. And I'm not sure how to better describe that. But um, it seems like uh, with justice, James is talking about there are unjust things in the world like... Um, even the distribution of wealth, what makes that a just thing that some people have a lot and some people have a little. And he says justice is to make sure that those, I think he's saying part of justice is to make sure that those who don't have anything to eat have something to eat. Right. And you, and you share with them. It doesn't mean you give everything up, or whatever, but, but if they come to your door, don't just turn them around with a pat on the head and say, hey, keep warm and have a nice day. He says... No, I think he's saying practice justice, like give them something to eat mm -hmm. before they leave. Mm -hmm. uh, there's something rich in there about that that I think we don't want to miss when we talk about justice that doesn't have anything to do with judgment. Right, right. And I, you know, I think to fully answer that question, you know, it would be good to do a full word study from the scriptures on, on the way the Bible, both in the Hebrew and in the Greek, use those words. And um, we're not there at this point. I mean, we could do it, but we haven't. So this is more just kind of what we've known through the years. Um, but the word justice to me, like what Jeff is talking about, especially biblical justice, has a sense of everybody has enough. There's a fairness to it. There's a sense of this is making all things right. Um, almost this shalom, this peace feeling. Um, judgment to me, from my understanding, is 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 much more, you know, there is a price to be paid for something, for a crime, for a sin, for a wrongdoing. Um, and it has a little bit less to do with making all things right as, as, as much it, as it has to do with um, some kind of payment has to be made for this error, this mistake, this sin. Mm -hmm. Um so it's, you know, it's, it's hard. This is a very nuanced way of thinking, which is, again, hard for us, you know, because yeah. we want kind of law, and this is, this is a little bit more spiritual discernment yeah. stuff. And I, and I feel like, I could be wrong about this, but I feel like we have kind of used those words interchangeably mm -hmm. at some, in times, and so mm -hmm. it, it gets confusing to me. Um, I was even thinking about what I was saying before the, 
definition of of justice. I I felt like that was the definition, and you're using it as the definition of judgment. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was I was you know kind of thrown off a little bit because I feel like around here we have used that definition that you were huh. saying for judgment huh. for justice. Huh. I could be wrong about that, but that's where I get a little bit confused when we start talking about this, and you know. I feel like maybe I'm you guys are confused too, so maybe it makes me feel a little better. Well, I think it is confusing, <laughs> and I think it's complex. And, yeah. um, we could come back to it, though. I could come do a special <laughs> tiny little five-minute podcast. We may have to. But I think of like the scales of justice, you know, where things yeah. are kind of balanced out and yeah. made right that way versus judgment, which looks like, you know, yeah. this, yeah. th- there's, a, there's an equal action for, for, you know, it's kind of an eye for an eye kind of thing, feels like judgment. Yeah. Justice feels more like the scales get balanced and things get made right. Right, which, which I was kind of thinking, if you commit a crime, justice is you go to jail for that crime. That's the just thing to do. Right. Uh, yeah, there's a judgment that determines whether you're innocent or guilty. Yeah. And then justice is, well, what? what fits the crime to some degree. But again, that's a, that's a human yep. view of, yeah. of, ju- of justice versus a, right, versus a biblical, biblical view justice, of justice yep. which I think is different. And All right. I'm going to study this. That, that's where, that's <laughs> that might where, be where, where the, I think the it is where is. some of the confusion yep. is. Uh, and I think it'd be good to study that. I think it'd be good as a church to yeah. study that yeah, a little we bit. We should know this, yeah. shouldn't we? All right. I'm writing well, this there down. you go. Maybe, you know, <laughs> teaching series 2019. <laughs> there you go. Um, one of the things Dave talked about uh, was trials and temptations um, not being from God. I think a question that a lot of people have is, why would God allow us to go through them then? Uh, James talks about this and even says that, um, you know, when we go through these trials, we gain perseverance. Is that, uh, is that what, what kind of comes out of this? Is that why we go through these? Um, what happens, I guess, through these trials and temptations? Well, I think, again, remembering who James is writing to, that he's writing to a church that's facing a lot of persecution um, from its own previous religious leaders, people who led them, who are now persecuting them and, and um, uh, killing them and, and chasing them out of the city and all these sorts of things that are going on. And I think what he's doing is he's trying to encourage them to keep living their life of faith. And so he's he's, I don't think he's saying that that the tests that you're experiencing, the trials you're experiencing right now are coming from God. Um, I think he's saying that, that keep, keep pursuing your life with Christ, keep pursuing your faith. And there's going to be something that comes out of this. And what he specifically says will come out of this is perseverance um, and, and maturity in Christ, that you have this desire to have your fullness of life in Christ. Well, the way for that to happen is to, is to keep living out your life of faith, not to abandon it when trials come. So I don't, uh, I don't think he's addressing the issue of where do trials necessarily come from as much as how are you going to respond to trials and are you going to look at them as an opportunity to maybe learn something more about yourself or about who God is and to strengthen your trust in him. Hmm. What was the question again? Um, I, th- I think one of the questions people have is why would God allow us to go through these trials? Uh, even if, if they're not from him, why wouldn't he step in and say, I'm going to cure you of cancer? Yeah. Um, Isn't that if they're, a great if they're question? Not, yeah. If they're not from him, why wouldn't he just um, help us out? Right. Fix our, right. fix our problems that we create for ourselves. Right. That's a great question. 
and actually, I think it's one of the great questions of the faith, you know? So I don't think there's a simple answer to it. And I, I also don't think there's a simple answer to, um, I think God allows trials. I think what James says is that God doesn't tempt us. Right. And I think what Dave was saying, too, is that God doesn't create catastrophe. He doesn't make those happen to us like he's some kind of vindictive, angry, mean, and spiteful God. But I do think he allows trials. And um, he allows all kinds of things into believers' lives and non-believers' lives. And, you know, God forbid... I know the mind of God and why he does it, but not just James, but the scriptures are full of wisdom about God wanting us to become mature. God want, and, and, and one of the words for that in James uses this idea of that, that we become mature and complete, which is this image of wholeness, um, which is really the way the word perfect should be translated sometimes, that we become these whole human beings. I think about, you know, the depression that I went through and the hard times Chuck and I have gone through. Those things, though I would not wish them on my worst enemy, have made me gentle, more gentle, not that gentle, (laughs) but I'm a little bit gentler (laughs) and um, kinder, more humble, more empathic to other people's suffering which you know and I could go on and on they also make me more faithful in God because I think back and think well he got me through that I think he'll get me through this next I believe he'll get me through this next thing so it's through those things really not through any of my successes so much that I feel I'm becoming more and more the person God wants me to be and I don't believe that's just for now I believe that God's forming me for eternity. It, what I'm going through now is helping me become the person I'm going to be for eternity. So there's a real purpose to all of it. And I can't pick and choose. I don't know what God allows, what he doesn't allow, and what, you know, comes from him. I, I, I don't know that. But I just trust his goodness. And I see now through my own hardships, what those hardships have brought out in me, and they're the better parts of me. If that makes sense, I mean, it's a tiny answer to a big question. Yeah, and I think along with the personal development and wholeness that you experience, um, he he also, in those hard times, my experience has been is gives you a sense of fellowship with yes. with him that that there's this sweetness to that uh, that you can't describe and you can't necessarily access through anything but through a, a severe testing or trial. That was my experience yeah. when Grant passed away. You know, yeah. my good friend. You know, 16 years ago, and uh, uh, just that deep despair and that deep hurt and that deep pain and all the questioning that came from that in my own soul and in in my faith and. And turning to, to God and just desperation and saying, I need you. And, um, you know, I need to know that you're real and I need to experience you and to have God move in my life in a way that provided such a profound sense of joy, I guess. And, in in, you know, for lack of joy is yeah. a weird word to use, but, but you know, for, in the fellowship of sharing in Jesus' sufferings is what is how Paul describes it. Um, 
it, it gave me a, a whole different idea of trusting in Jesus that things are going to be okay, that it's going to be okay, that I think empowers me to be able to enter into other people's suffering a little bit and sit with them and experience that with them and encourage them it's going to be okay. Jesus is with you, you know, because I know how he was with me. I, I just believe he's going to do that for others too. So I think having that experience that, that only comes through a trial and a testing is something that, that James, that's what he's saying. Consider it pure joy because you've got this opportunity for real fellowship mm-hmm. with Jesus in the midst of this. He knows exactly what you're experiencing and he's near to you. It's mm-hmm. good stuff. Yeah, it is. Um, I think one of the big themes, obviously we, we titled the series Faith Works, <laughs> right? Uh, so one of the big themes is um, faith without works is dead, or I guess if faith is not accompanied by action, it is dead. Uh, one of the questions that I think we'll kind of end up with, with this um, is how do we reconcile that with a verse like John three sixteen? you know, for God so loved the world, all you, know, all you have to do is believe, basically. Um, and then James says, if you don't have action with accompanying with that faith it's dead uh do you have a answer to to that do you have to just believe or do you have to believe and then do something yeah yeah great question um jeff and i were talking about that a little bit before we um sat down with you johnny as we looked at at that particular question Um, i had a couple thoughts about it one um it's hard to take just one verse and one verse and then try to hit them against each other (laughs) i mean it's tempting to do that, but it's not a great way to read the scriptures. Two, we really like black and white answers to things. And faith, I think I've heard Dave talk about this. Faith is a lot more like a coin sitting on its edge all the time. We have to hold on to nuance. Um, My favorite image of that is Martin Luther saying, so many of us see we're like drunk people trying to get on a horse we're always falling off on one side or the other when really we need to be not drunk people but people who get on a horse and can ride with with both things true so I'm thinking about when you ask the question I'm thinking well what if what if um I just said well you know I I love my husband right I that's a statement that I make and and it's a word that I'm using um, but if that statement and that word, love, doesn't have any action behind it, right? I'm not faithful to him. I don't think the best of him. I don't seek out his good. I don't live in the same house with I mean, all these things, then it's really nothing. I mean, and I think that's a little bit what what James is trying to get at there. And 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 I don't think Jesus... And John, who wrote, you know, whosoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. I don't think any of them ever had in mind an idea that you would just pray a prayer and say a word and then jolly well, dilly-dally off on your own life and then one day be with Jesus. I think think that perception of the way faith works is a very modern view, and it's never, ever, ever what any of the biblical writers meant. They always always meant you believing in Jesus means you give your whole life to following him and learning to live in his way there's really no other way that you can say you believe in him than following him with your whole life and when you follow him with your whole life you read his teachings and you live those out if it doesn't change the way you live then then there's something wrong with what's going on there so I don't know that's my best shot at that I think that's a great answer. I think, you know, what you're saying is 
the very nature of faith um, is that it produces action. It produces some sort of deeds, and, and the deeds James is primarily talking about are are not acts of the law. Mm-hmm. In fact, Paul said that that's that we shouldn't be doing those um, uh, as a way to earn salvation. He's he's saying that faith produces uh, acts of love, love of God and love of others, and that's what I think he's describing in his in his book. Is yep. this is what it looks like to love God? This is what it looks like to love others. And you just look at Jesus' life, and Jesus' life was an expression of his faith in his Father. And he didn't simply express great teaching and ideas, but he lived out what he was teaching and demonstrated what that looked like. And I think being a brother of Jesus, James saw that, and he said, this is what it looks like. Uh, This is what faith actually is, to actually trust God and trust Jesus. There's... um, there's obedience and there's love and and not just uh, for God, but you you live it out in the ways you're loving other people. Which goes all the way back to us talking about our tongue and the way we yes. use our words, yep. right? That's why that's such a right. big deal, right? Because um, and and it goes all the way, you know, it goes back to Paul and it goes back to even Jesus. If 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 we don't love, then our our faith is meaningless. I mean, I think about First Corinthians thirteen. You know, you do all these things, you say all these things, go to church all the time, you read all the Bible, blah, blah, blah. If you don't love God and love others, it's meaningless. Well, thank you guys. Um, I feel like this conversation has been convicting to me. I thank you guys for just being so open and honest about your own struggles and, you know, um, just letting us know you don't have it figured out, even no. though you're up there teaching all the time. And uh, I think that's one of the things people love about Orchard is just yeah. the openness and willingness to, to share. We're learning so, right along with everybody absolutely. else. Yeah. Absolutely. So thank you. And we will uh, we'll see you next time. I think our next series is Stories from the Seats. So that's always a fun one yeah. for, for, for us to learn about other people's stories. So great. Thanks, we'll John. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the Orchard Podcast. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to consider talking about, you can email me at jrogers at orchardhillchurch.org.